Warning, this 15th installment of Spark Interview Podcast Bond Marathon will contain adult language, mature situations, a final debut of one of our Bonds, a insanely masculine female femme fatale, a memorably insane villain, a awkward romance, the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge, and minecarts. Listener discretion is advised. Spark in Motion Picture Review, James Bond 007, A View to a Kill. Hello Bond fans and welcome to another installment of Sparkin's Bondothon or the Bond Marathon. I'm your host Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, what's up? Hey, it's Greta. And we are back for another installment of Sparkin's Bond Marathon, where we talk about Bond leading up to No Time to Kill. Still no word on if... No Time to Kill has been postponed or not, but we are back. Our last episode, we talked about the Not Eon film, Never Say Never Again, which is the last return of Sean Connery. And now we're actually talking about the seventh Roger Moore film. And the last one to star him. Now, beforehand, remember, you can check out any of our earlier episodes at... www.spirekin.com We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Stitcher... And various other social media sites and YouTube. Just check them out. And with that plug in mind, let's get to it, shall I? Because this one is interesting because it's based on... Well, the title's based on a Ian Fleming short story from the 60s. But it has nothing to do with that. The original short story... What did it, was the deal with the original short story? The original short story involved the death of a motorist dispatch rider and the theft of top secret documents by a motorcycle riding assassin that they fought in Versailles and then the whole thing is it leads to a huge match in the middle of Versailles and there's a secret base of operations where King Louis the fourth was in that sounds like a really cool movie it does sound like a really cool movie this is not that at all however there's a really some really cool things with this and since we're back to Eon Films a lot of things first off this was directed by John Glenn again so this is his Second to last film I think he directs. Because he does all five for the 1980s. This is 1985. Produced by Albert Broccoli and Michael Wilson. Based on Ian Fleming's James Bond. And we have a huge list in this. First off, let's get the first first cameo out of the way. A super minor role, but this is this actor's first debut into film. We're talking about Dolph Lundgren. Is a goon in this. Dolph? If you've ever seen Rocky, Drago. Oh, yes, 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 He has a super minor role as one of General Gogo's KGB agents. It's a face role, but it's kind of cool. This is his first movie. You have Bogdan Kominowisk as Klotkov, another one of the KGB agents. This one was killed on an oil rig. You have Mary Staven as Kimberly Jones. This is a British agent who appears in the pre-credit sequence. Mm-hmm. So this is the girl that something happens to, whatever. You have Daniel Benzali as just a generic city official worker, a corrupt guy working in the city office in San Francisco. You have Walter Gotel back again as General Gogol. So this is his like fifth or seventh time as General Gogol, I think. Because he's been around since uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. He... 
he's a good general Gogol. He is, and it's cool to see him back again. I think his last his last film is coming up, but it's cool to see him back again as the head of the KGB. You have Jeffrey Keen back again as Frederick Gray, another reoccurring main character in in the Bond franchise. He's a counterpart to M, and he has been around just as long. Jeffrey Keen. When Bernard Lee died, he's the one that took control for a while. So it's kind of cool to see him back again. Now, unfortunately, here is the hardest one. One of the longest-running Bond characters who's been in... And this is the 14th film in the franchise. And there's and this is her 14th appearance and her last appearance. We're talking about Lois Maxwell. Many Penny. As Many Penny. Now... Here is a really disturbing and sad fact. Originally, she would have stayed on, and she was petitioning to become M Ugh. off screen. And Albert Broccoli said, "There's or no, said there's no way anyone's going to believe a female is going to be good enough to be an M." To no, be M. I think it, well, for that time it was 1980s. I mean, ten years later, we're going to get a. Ten, but. Let's do, hear what you just said 10 years later. It took 10 years. Plus, Money Penny was a secretary. You can't go from being secretary to being the head. That is true, but That's she... That's not the path. It's just, it's a shame. It just, but but it's it's sad to see her go. And this one, it's very... Because they're going to the Kentucky Derby. And she's super excited to go. And it just, it feels bad. It's just sad. But someone who's also been around for a long time, even though he missed one movie, Desmond Llewellyn is back as Q. I love Desmond Llewellyn. He's back as Q, and he is doing kick-ass things. And let's be honest, when we see Algernon and compare him to Q, there's just something very different. This Q, at this point, he is charismatic, he's funny, and he's he's knowing he knows his shit. Just say, you have Robert Brown back again as M. Now, some of the other actors, you have uh, Will- Willoughby Gray, who is Dr. Carl Muntner, a.k.a. Hans Glaub. He is your generic, uh, let's be honest, he's a Nazi scientist who's now a, a just a father figure to our villain. Even though if you watch the German dub, he is Polish and he's a communist. But yeah, he's your typical insane mad scientist who likes genetics. Yeah. He's like perfectly cast as an insane person, as an insane mad scientist. You'd buy it. Gee, that's not a plot anybody tried in real life. No, not at all. Um, you have David Yip as a CIA agent. That's by Chuck Lee. And it's weird because I would have expected Felix Leiter, but this is just like a, you know, we needed Asian, we need an Asian CIA agent for San Francisco. Which is appropriate because... San Francisco has has always had a very big Chinese presence um, since the gold rush. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, as uh, henchman number two, you have Patrick Bachow as Scorpini, who is just a weird, loyal assistant. Really not... He, they never really said his name. We had to look up his name. He's just kind of there. As He's in like henchman sh- number two. Pretty much henchman number two, but eventually he, but he does get upgraded to henchman number one. Well, that usually happens in a Bond film. True. 
you have uh, Patrick Mackney as Sir Godfrey Tibbet, which at first we thought that he was someone who was actually an older member. No, he's just for this movie, but apparently he's a friend of James Bond. And he's a horse trainer who helps him out in this situation by pretending to be his manservant, even though he totally outranks Bond. It's like in the social hierarchy. That's what makes it more fun. Yeah, because he's pushing him around. It's like, dude, that's he's he's. But when can it, when else are you going to be able to do that? He's peerage, and you're treating him like shit. But that's the fun part. That's what made it funny. Yeah, but it is fun that he is someone who actually knows stuff about horses, and he's a good uh, my guy Friday. Uh, you have Grace Jones as Mayday, uh, the chief henchwoman, Zorin's lover, supposedly has superhuman strength augmented. It's Grace Jones. She's a tall man woman who. Uh, I don't think she's attractive. She was a model, and uh, fun fact: Roger Moore hated working with her because during one of their scenes, when they're in bed together, she pulled out a huge, giant black dildo. Why? She thought it was funny, and she laughed for twenty-five minutes. And in his memoirs, he said, "You know, they tell you." Uh, don't, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So for Grace Jones, I'm going to say nothing at all. Yeah. Like, he hated her. There's stories about it, so. It's kind of crazy, and as a villain, I don't... Like, she's the first major, like, speaking black love interest for James Bond. For me, it has nothing to do with the color of her skin. And it has nothing... Like, he's had... There's something, like, not attractive about the way that she moves to me. Like, it was... She's trying to be more masculine than... There's there's a, there's a way to be a strong female. There's a way of being a masculine female that's strong, that's still attractive... But there's a way that just came off bitchy, like the mean girl in high school that wants to push you down and who's the head cheerleader, but actually isn't attractive, if that makes sense. Like, she has a beautiful body, but she, I don't know. I don't like her. It's very weird. And if Live or Let Die, there was the first black Bond girl. And she does a great, in that one, she, you know, does a great job being who she is, even though she gets killed by uh, Mr. Big. But she's still kind of submissive. And one thing that I did like about Grace Jones is that she takes charge. She's very aggressive. Uh, and like we said, she is... Aggressive. The boss. And we, But we see this again later on when we see um, in later Bond films with another actress who we'll bring up. But Mayday is not a, oh, oh James, take me, James. It's no, James, sit back, relax. Or sit back, you're gonna... And we're gonna earn our explicit rating right now. So, yeah. We'll leave it to your imagination. But Grace Jones is... She's not my cup of tea when it comes to... Also, she has no problem getting her hands dirty. She kills people left and right. Yeah. But unlike... Uh, in the last movie we talked about Fatima Blush, who's batshit crazy... This girl is just super loyal and super roided out. Like, she's roid rage angry. But she doesn't have roid rage muscles. It's not like a muscle builder. But she's got, like, there's... Supernatural strength. There's just a, a huge chip on her shoulder. And it's not from the 80s shoulder pads. 
something. Wait, wait. We have Tanya Roberts as Stacy Sutton, who is the love interest and a granddaughter of an oil tycoon. Now, she is the reason why Roger Moore quit. When they went and she met, uh, when Roger Moore met Tanya Roberts' mother, Tanya Roberts' mother was younger than him. His co-star's mother is younger than him by 10 years. At that point, Roger yeah. Moore's like, I'm done. I'm finished at this point. It's just, at that point, it's it felt weird because it's like, you know, I'm supposed to be romantic with this girl and the chemistry between them is terrible. Yeah. She's probably, uh, other, you, you always, when we were watching, you pointed out the obvious that she is, I don't wear a bra, woman. Yeah, and there's so many of those in this movie. It's like, did they not have a budget for brassieres in this? I don't know. Like, what was the deal with that? But something which would be brought up is our next character, our villain of the piece. First off, originally, the villain of this piece is supposed to be played by David Bowie. Of course. If that was the case, that this would be the greatest villain ever. Uh, he was so close that the early publication shows, it says that Bowie is playing the villain. If you look in the old... Now, one of the books that we have in, that I would should scan the pictures of are of the old posters. And the old poster does say David Bowie as the villain. Which is kind of cool. But they so changed it. he was it. signed up for it. Uh, but the press release jumped the gun because he turned it down saying, I don't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off cliffs. So, after he passed, they offered it to Sting. Sting decided, I'm not going to do this, and instead he wanted to be Sting in a thong in a certain movie called Dune by David Lynch. Which, that's a really just weird... Uh, Have I seen that? No, Dune is a... Well, anyway, Dune, that's for another episode where I can rant about Her Frank Herbert's horrible writing. But So, instead, they went with a very famous actor who does a lot of crime movies. You know, somebody... Who he, he need well no that's going Brando. He needs more cowbell to do this. Talking about Christopher Walken. He's as our villain I Max like him Zorn. As a villain because you want to he's, like hear something off about him. He's completely out of his mind, and apparently he's because he's an industrialist. He's psychopathic. He's also the product of a, of a Nazi genetic experiment. He wants to destroy Silicon Valley because he wants to and it's get a monopoly. Because he's crazy. He's. It's not just that he's crazy. It's he's the type of crazy that you. You believe he can do it because he's crazy. It's like, he's so crazy, but he's going to make it happen. You're like, oh, that's batshit crazy. No, yeah, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Like, you compare him to to Maximilian Largo from the last movie. Maximilian is, he's neurotic, he's this, he's that. But when he brings up his plan, it's like, this more feels like Blofeld's plan. He's just like the middle management guy. Max Zorin's plan is all like, this is all from him because he's out of his mind. And the fact that his father figure, uh, Dr. Bortner, is like subservient to him, that shows how nuts he is. And he has layers upon layers to this plan, but the plan is still the same no matter what. It's not, I have... I thought it was excellent casting I, because he looks crazy, he is crazy, it's plausible. 
He's kind of... He's probably the best part of this movie. Twerpy and wiry, yes. Now, before we get to the last actor, Maude Adams, who was Octopussy and in Man with the Golden Gun, shows up again. She has a super brief cameo. When you see James Bond walking to meet uh, David uh, Chuck Lee, uh, when he meets David Yip, in the background you see her with her boyfriend. She came to visit because she's friends with, with Roger Moore. Kind of cool. Finally, last but not least, we have Roger Moore returning for the final time as James Bond 007. And what can we say about James Bond in this one, except he is... James Bond. He's old. He... He's old. There was things that I had a little hard time with that were subtle, and I might be nitpicky. I like to think of myself as not being ageist, but... When he goes to, like, run and goes to fight, there's a little uh, slowness. There's a little, like, effort. Like, And I know you can, when you're doing running and jumping and stuff like that, there's a little bit of the, um, you take, you can take multiple takes, right? So, like, where was the Red Bull or whatever to help get him going a little? Like, it was just... Or where was the stunt double who did a better job? Like, there wasn't enough get up and go. Like, it looked painful. It was rough for him. And this is he... And unlike Sean Connery, Sean Connery, he looked older, but he was still acting and doing all of his stuff. And he wasn't trying to do, like, a young man's James Bond. He was a seasoned fighter. Like This James Bond is I'm Still a Young Man, which it felt weird. Yeah. It's... 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 Um... To bring an example, there's a TV show that we both watch where an older gentleman, to make himself feel younger because there's a younger girl he's interested in, decides to dye his hair black. And it goes horribly wrong. This is the, I'm going to dye my hair black and act like I'm perfectly normal and everyone notices, dude, your hair looks blue. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And that's where this is. But, so... Let's get to the beginning. So this actually opens up with a cool set piece uh, where he's going to locate 003 who got killed. Another 00 got killed in the middle of the Soviet Union. And he escapes on skis. And it's... Skis are never a good idea for James Bond. James Bond is always going to be shot at and chased after or snow is going to fall on him. It's... It's a pretty. James Bond should not. Be... If you are out skiing, if this is a hobby for yours, you like your the great outdoors, you love snow, and you go out skiing and you see James Bond run away, shit's about to get real. And it's not like how they find him is pretty bad, and how he escapes is just like out of all the different ski versions, this is probably the worst chase. Yeah. However, one thing I did like is after everything, after he escapes and, and gets the bad guys, his secret conveyance, his way to get away from the bad guys, because it's in the middle of snow, he has a submarine that is camouflaged as an iceberg. I did like that. It's very cool, and also the fact that the back turns into a bed is really cool. It's, it's kind of pervy, but it's like, yeah, that's, but that's James, James Bond. That's James Bond, totally. So we, and then from there we get into our opening sequence, which we'll talk about later. I actually have kind of a soft spot for this one. So it turns out that the thing that they retrieved is a microchip that can withstand an electromagnetic pulse, and that was created by Zorn Industries. Now, fun little fact, Zorn Industries actually does exist. 
But since this is a fictional Zorn Industries, it's the first James Bond to open up with a disclaimer saying that Zorn Industries is not related to any real organization. So, yeah. So he's got to discover what happened. So he's going to go find the uh, find out what's going on. So he ends up going to Ascot Racecourse, which I think is in... Uh, oh, it's in Ascot Berkshire. It's in England. And he's going to meet the, the owner of the... Of, Zorn Industries, Max Zorn, who's got a horse that always wins the race. Kind of like the Kentucky Derby. You wonder why the horse always wins the race? Well, turns out that the horse, what is it? The horse test, they test for drugs, the test proved negative, and it turns out that they're going to have a whole, they have to find out what's going on. So they meet an informant who's going to tell them that Zorn is going to have a horse sale, and they're having dinner inside the Eiffel Tower in the restaurant in the Eiffel Tower, which I didn't think was still open anymore. It might have been during that movie. It might not be now. But it is. But the guy gets killed in a very weird way because they're just sitting having dinner. Mayday shows up dressed up in all black, like super not conspicuous at all. And she uses a fishing rod and a butterfly to kill him. Yeah, he's killed. But artificial poisoned. I don't think it was poisoned. I think it just was cut his neck. They don't really say if it was poisoned or not. It just is very awkward. It's just like, ah, he got hit. And you just see the, the, the butterfly in his neck. And then she runs off and it becomes a chase sequence on the Eiffel Tower. Which is a kind of good chase sequence. It was a, it was a, I thought it was an epic chase sequence. Because they're trying to, because one is running around the Eiffel Tower going up and the other one's using the stairway. So it's a it is very impactful and you're very excited to see where it goes and how it's gonna end and what's gonna happen. And it does it ends with Mayday jumping off of the Eiffel Tower and suddenly she has a parachute. No a hang glider. She has a hang glider. How does this work? Bond magic. I think it was wasn't it like in her cape or something and then it yeah, it was in her cape, and she used like a pole or the pole to it's 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 the pole from the butterfly thing. Completely insane, completely insane. But there's thought process behind it. There's there's a little bit of thought process, but yeah. But James Bond magic. James Bond magic is the correct answer. So from here, they end up going to the horse auction at Zorn's estate, and he's walking around and he sees. Uh, a girl that he's interested in, she rebuffs him, not interested, this young girl. And then he meets Zorn, he meets uh, Dr. Uh, what the hell's his name? Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, it's, uh, I want to say his real name, Hans, but it's Dr. Mortner. He meets Dr. Mortner, who's like acting like a butler, but he's not the butler. And but it's weird sequence. We discover the truth. How is he acting like the butler? When he introduces himself, like, "Hello, I am Doctor Mortner. I I'm with Max. I'm working for Max. Oh, because I'm checking the horses and doing other things, and this feels really weird. And from here, we find out the secret lab is underneath the horse stables, and actually, really well done. Also, it's cool because Bond shows up. He says he's a sir. And uh, his manservant is Tibbet, and he treats Tibbet horribly. He's like his name is. They have a fake argument, which has been pre-recorded. So they are fake arguing because they know that people are going to be listening to them. Because they find the bug and they just and it's super mean. And the guys listening are like, "Oh God, I would not want to be his servant." Right. 
Because he's like Sir Tip. His name's like Sir Vivendale something. It's a super ostentatious name. But so there, there's so he is. They're using that to not be caught. They're examining. They discover the secret, which is um, what is it? The that Zorn implanted an adrenaline device in his horses. So when it goes off, it releases adrenaline into the horse's system. So it's which is all... why it doesn't test um, for steroids or any kind of... Because it's natural. It's naturally right. occurring. So it's cool. And it leads actually to one of the better sequences. Because you always have the sequence of the villain and Bond. Um, the the moment of, I know you're bad. You know I'm good. That situation. But we're not going to fight in front of other people. This one is... Zorn invites him to his office and they're talking and he's just typing some stuff in his computer and his computer is actually analyzing Bond and like he's hacking into it and it's just a very minor conversation about so what type of horse are you looking for? Are you looking for one with a lot of a lot of stamina? Are you looking for one that's that's it's quick, quiet. It's actually a really compelling end. But I do like sequence. that, like I know what you're doing, you know what I'm doing, but we're still both just gonna pretend. Like everything's normal. And the sad thing is that Tibbet leaves to call MI6 in the car, and he gets killed by Mayday in a really sad scene. It's like he goes to get gas, and she just snaps his neck, leaves him in the back of the car. They uh, trick Bond into ride, getting into a horse race with six other guys, and then they beat him up. Like they catch him, beat him up, put him into the car next to dead Tibbet, and then they proceed to try to drown him in this beautiful Rolls Royce. Beautiful car. And how he escapes and survives is kind of bullshit, but it, it, it's it's a Bond movie. He breaks out of the car, they're drowning, they're looking for him, and what he does is stay underwater. He breathes the air. From the tire. Which I don't think that's oxygenated air. It is. It's just compressed air. Hmm. It's going to taste like rubber. I think you could, but apparently you can breathe that. Uh, that's kind of intriguing, but... So they think that Bond is dead, and they're running off. And then we do find out that Zorn worked for the KGB. Because General Gogo shows up, yells at him, saying, Why did you kill kill James Bond? You're not, that wasn't in your order organization. And Zorn's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, like giving him like a, like lying, saying, I apologize. I didn't know he was getting too close to whatever's going on. And then he reveals his super plan to his villains on his secret base, which is kind of cool. His secret headquarters is, you think it's a boardroom, and it's actually a blimp. Yeah. And when someone wants to drop out of his, his meeting, he's like, oh, well, listen, you want to drop out? Fine. You can go downstairs and just think straight up, just drop him out okay, of the... Okay, you can leave. That's fine. No just, big deal. Uh, we have a bar down about, bar down this uh, stairway, and the stairway actually is just a... It leads... It turns into a ramp. And just launches him out of there. He kills him straight up. No, no qualms whatsoever. He's like, okay, well, you know, it'll be fine. Everything's good. We're still all together. We're still playing. We're going to destroy Silicon Valley. And we're going to have a monopoly over the microchip manufacturing. And we're going to be... And life will be great to us. That's our plan. Ha 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 There's no... It's not even a... We're going to try to take over the world. It's no. It's all for business. And that's the more sinister villain. Is just he's doing it for himself. Yeah, I... I don't want to say respect it. But... 
that's more realistic of a villain. I think. I could be wrong. And out of our billionaire villains, he's not like if you look at the gold the gold standard. It's gold. Goldfinger, who his whole thing is, he's going to destroy the American gold by irradiating it so his gold value goes up. Very clever. You had Stromberg, who I'm going to destroy, I'm going to make my own utopia under the water. And then you had, of course, Hugo Drax's, I'm going to destroy the Earth and have my utopia in space. And this is just, I want money, so I'm going to destroy the, destroy the area, which makes it so it's all mine. Simple, easy, no issues. Uh, so we said Bond escapes. He gets to San Francisco where Zorin is going to go do some stuff. And it just ends up becoming a huge, well, fight sequence. Fight sequence ensues. Well, it's he, he, he ends up pairing up with a KGB agent because the KGB are after him. And one of the cool parts is the KGB are trying to record him because he has a recording of Max. And what he does is he switches... The tapes for the recording. Like she's like, oh, you have the recording of the of the of the secret meeting, right? Yeah, 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 it's right here. And she waits till he goes to the shower after they have sex. It takes it and runs off, and then she puts it in the in the tape deck to listen to it, and it's classical music because he he already anticipated swapped it. Har har. It's she lost. Or it's Japanese music he's playing, so he's very smart with, with flipping it, and I like that. They end up blowing up... Because uh, he's still James Bond. He might be older. He might not be as spry as he once was, but he is still James Bond. One thing that they do do is cool is he ends up going... Uh, he meets the girl that rebuffed him, who turns out to be a geologist, Stacy Sutton. And she's, Zorn's trying to buy out her business because she owns a uh, oil business. She doesn't want to sell, but he's kind of coercing her to do it. So they go to check out what his plans are going to be. It turns out that his plans are nefarious, but the crazy part is that when he gets there, he catches them there. They're in front of the chief geologist of the state, and Zorn, the guy's under Zorn's pay. So it should be all good. They'll, they'll get rid of Bond. No. He starts a fire, takes Bond's gun, and shoots the geologist and throws it on the ground. Oil gloves. So... When the cops show up, guess who the prime suspect for killing the geologist is? James Bond. Which leads to a crazy chase sequence in a fire engine. I did like that chase sequence. <laughs> it is fun because he's not even driving it. She's driving it and she's driving terribly and he's hanging on to the emergency ladder just swinging back and forth. For dear life. And they do have the, the well we'll get about the soundtrack, but the soundtrack is playing and it's really well done. Then we have the whole sequence of the secret, the plans talked about uh, a secret lab, which would cause the destruction of San Francisco because he, and that's actually really, you have to admit that would have taken a long time. They put a shitload of dynamite and explosives on top of a fault line. And we're talking a lot, not a little bit. We're talking like this is going to create some damage. Uh, I think it could fill up a basketball stadium, a basketball, uh, a basketball um, court, court, right? Probably. Like you could, it's pretty deep, and they put a, a a huge bomb to set it all off. Because it wasn't enough to just have 
And the plan is when this bomb goes off, it's going to flood all of Silicon Valley and it's going to be, and everything's going to be submerged underwater forever after the fault line goes off. Because it's between the Hayward fault line and the San Andreas. Um, they get, they break in there, they get out, uh, Zorn almost catches them, and then Zorn, being as cold as he is, besides killing all the workers who worked under there, except for his second hench, he ends up abandoning Mayday to her death. That's right. Mayday, the loyal, crazy... Who's been super loyal to him the entire time, and the, they, they are lovers, and it's, you know, they're, they're in a relationship, and he just leaves her there to die. So what does she do? She helps Bond escape. She converts to the side of good, but in order for them to save the day, she has to push the bond bomb and, away. And really, she's the only one that can because she's strong enough. And she ends up getting killed but saves the day. Then Zorn escapes on his air blimp, which it's just really... And it ends to Bond holding onto, the, onto a mooring line. And, and Zorn is just aiming towards buildings to hit him off of. And Bond gets smart, ties it on the Golden Gate Bridge, and that leads to a final fight on top of the Golden Gate Bridge with Max Zorn being crazy guy with axe and James Bond fighting with nothing else. It's actually kind of cool fight sequence. And then uh, I thought it was an excellent. Fight I like Doctor Moran's like Max, Max. He's like worried about him, like showing his fatherly love, love. admiration. But he's hoisted on his own petard when Max dies. He pulls out some dynamite and lights. It's going to throw it to James. But then James shakes the rope and it pushes it over. So he ends up blowing himself up and the other guy in the blimp. And Sutton is saved and all smoochy, smoochy, smoochiness. And then it ends where General Gogol gives Bond the Order of Lenin for foiling Zorn's scheme. Which... It's actually kind of cool seeing him award Bond again because they do have a very contentious relationship where they're friends, but they're not friends. Like he doesn't want to do it, but he has to because it's Bond. But he respects Bond. He totally respects Bond because of all the things he's done for them. But it's also like last time we saw them really interact in person, he was supposed to pick up the 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 one device that was stolen in for for your eyes only, and Bond destroyed it in front of him. Yeah. So. Yeah, but it's like they, they, they respect each other as professional colleagues, I think, and I do like that. So we've gone over the entire plot, totally plot point, uh, because it's been past the state of contention or state of uh, the state of limita- statute of limitations for spoilers. But so this one, well, f- first off, let's get let's talk about the soundtrack and the opening sequence. Uh, a view to a kill is. I love it because it's made by Duran Duran. And the reason why they, did, they used it is because uh, the lead singer of Duran Duran came up to Chubby Broccoli while drunk and said, why don't you pick a good band to do your Bond theme? And he ends up giving them the gig. I like it. And the whole uh, movie uses versions of A View to a Kill. And the only one that has the James Bond theme is when Mayday jumps off of the bridge. It's the only time you hear it in the movie besides the gun barrel. Everything else is the view to a, the versions of a view to a kill. And this actually becomes uh, number one in the Billboard Top 100 in the U.S. So it was the first Bond film to become a Top 100. It's a good song. I do like View to a Kill. Well, they also 
had it done right. Yeah. But Bond movies usually have good good music. It's a very 80s opening, though. It's a very 80s opening. Uh, it must have been epic in the 80s when they opened with it, though. Yeah. It's like the opening sequence is just crazy weird. Also, there is a cover of California Girls by the Beach Boys in the opening sequence. And just, that's when it kind of jumps the shark, I think. You think? Because it's like, it's it's like, you know, oh, cool Bond movie, cool Bond movie. And then, uh, California, I don't even remember how that. California Girls. No, that's when we were older. Yeah, they're playing, Cal- yeah, that's it, California Girls. And they're playing California Girls just randomly in the middle of a Bond movie during a, an action sequence. It's It kind of takes you out of it. But that's kind of what the whole spy game is, is like. You could be living your life and walking around and not knowing that on the other side of that wall, James Bond is fighting for his life and country, and it's so secretive, you don't even know that that's happening. So, like, I don't think I'm explaining that well. But no. it's like, it's happening right under your nose, and you don't know. No, you do, but it, it's just a weird scene. But something interesting is, this scene, Bond snowboards, because he loses one of his skis. And this actually helped initiate... Again, he should not be skiing. It's not safe for Bond. However, this led to people being interested in snowboarding. So if you're a snowboarder, the reason why snowboarding is cool is because this movie. Well, no, this is the time period when snowboarding <coughs> was really gain- starting to gain... Interest, but this is the movie that the momentum. sequence is the one that started the whole thing. So that's kind of cool. So, soundtrack great, but let's get to the let's get to it. The thing is that Sean Connery saw the movie and he said, look, Bond should be played by an actor that's 35, 33 years old. I'm too old for this. Roger's too old. And Roger even said later on, he said, I was only about 400 years too old for the part. It's like, because he visually aged. But it's one of those things that it's like, when you have a seasoned actor that's awesome, you don't want to give that up. And I get that. Yeah, and while he didn't and like... I think that they finally learned that Daniel Craig was a little bit younger. Well, so was uh, the last... The next two were pretty young. They're in their 30s. Uh, I will admit there are some things about it that are a little crazy. Uh, a lot of people don't like the fact that this movie is one of the more violent earlier Bonds because Christopher Walken gunning down all of his crew in the mine. Yeah, he really just... Mass does not it, it takes you out of it's like this isn't a bond movie this is just like an action movie and it's a my thing about it is that it's fun it's popcorn movie fun it's not how do i put this in a good way I think that it's a decent entry into the Bond franchise. It's not the worst Roger Moore Bond movie. Some people say it's the worst. Some say it's the best. This is a good middle ground. However, that being said, that being said, uh, Mayday and Stacy Sutton are two of the worst Bond girls we've had. They're pretty bad. I agree. Uh, 
Roger Moore, he's punny, but he's phoning it in. What elevates this movie is Max Zorin. He is a great villain. He's just, he is so bombastic and over the top. He makes this movie insane and weird and crazy and just, what the fuck? And also, it's so cool that you had so many little things with it that were going on that were done. Like, the reason why Dolph Lundgren was in the movie is because he was dating Grace Jones at the time. Really? Yeah, they were a couple. I know, it's weird. So the movie's entertaining. It's not great. There's some great... Like, the music is great. The scene's great. The story is decent. It's not a super convoluted, let's go to 50 different locations. It goes from England... Well, we always exclude the opening sequence because that's always like a side mission that happens before the gun barrel. But it's... You have... It's in England, then it goes to San Francisco. That's it. There's no other, like, locations, and there's, oh, in Paris. So it's England, Paris, then San Francisco. That's the whole set, but it's done so well, because they focus on areas in each location. It's not just, we're going we're gonna to stay in uh, Rio for two minutes, and then we're going to go to the middle of the jungle, then we're going to go to space. Or like the last film where they went from, from for no reason we're going to go to Bahamas, then we're going to go to Nice, then we're going to go to the the Arabian Sea. Right. I think that this one is, well that's my opinion. What about you? What do you think? I thought it was... It, about it, the location aspect on that. It, it, it had decent locations. Um, it wasn't as visually stunning as some of the other Bond movies had, had been. Um, I thought the mine, the details about the mine and all that thought process, that was interesting. I know that it's like different cause it was, a lot of it was set in like California, right? Silicon Valley. And I don't know if that feels exotic for people from Europe from, you know, like, because James Bond is. British. He's from England, right? So I don't know if that felt exotic for everybody, but it didn't feel exotic necessarily for me. Um, I can, I can, and I get the California Dreaming because that's like iconic, and it's in California, and it's a well, California. No, that girl. was well, they did that in the in the snow at the beginning when he's he's skiing in the middle of Russia. True, but it's like foreshadowing, right? That is, I could see that. So you know, from that aspect, I I liked it. It was interesting. It's not the best. No. It's like location-wise, visually stunning movie in general. Not the best. Not the worst. Loved Christopher Walken in it. Um, I thought he was a great villain. I liked him. I like him as a villain. Um, but overall, the movie was yeah. In our so we've been rating these movies over time, and we're gonna release our official rating. But this one is pretty low. Let's be honest. It's. It's better than For Your Eyes Only, and it's better than Moonraker. Uh, that's about it. Like, Diamonds Are Forever is better than this. And we were like, I want to like this one. I do, but it's like... Christopher Walken makes it really hard to not like this one. But it's, it's, like I said, it's for me, it's meh. It's meh. 
And unfortunately, it's such a bad spot for Roger Moore to end off in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's, he goes out with a whimper, not a bang. Yeah. And that's all we have to say. So, our, so as for villains, Max Zorn goes high up. He's, he's, he's pretty high up. Um, on, when we were debating about this, we put it as he was above Kananga, Mr. Big. We put him above Mr. Big and below uh, Goldfinger. Because yep. he's just that bombastic. Our henchman, we put her uh, made a kind of well. We have him above her above Kid and Wink. We do. We have her above Kid and Wink. Which that's kind of shocking because Kid and Wink we hated, but we didn't hate. Well, we hate Mayday is rough. Just. The character concept was good. It just, she did not work. I yeah, she's above Ken and Wink, but, but that's not saying much. Ken and Wink were so horrible. Like Mayday, them switching her from heel to face, that was just. I don't. I think that kind of, that ruined her. I think, they didn't need to do that. They could have kept her as the big bad, and it would have worked a lot better. I think. It felt like they were doing that because of an agenda. Like, oh, she's a woman. We have to. And Fatima Blush, we talked about last time, she was crazy and she went with it. I think that if... if well, because the whole, the whole James Bond franchise is very misogynistic. Right? And it, it's progressively starting to get more female leads or stronger plot lines for some of the women in there but it's misogynistic from the get-go the whole the whole thing is is very um much that way so it's hard to put a big women of the world unite in there until you get a jane bond you don't think that um we'll go with uh going a little bit further up uh like natalia was not a good no I liked her. Natalia was a strong character, and yeah. so was um. It's progressively. So getting... was Mylin. Mylin was she has she has scenes without James where she's kicking ass. Right, it's progressively getting closer to being balanced, but it's still very misogynistic at this point in time. Yeah. I think. Okay, I can agree with you there. So this one, I'm gonna have uh, worth watching once. I think. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's worth watching once. Um, it's still James Bond. And for those of you who are saying, how come we didn't talk about Never Say Never Again and put it, our location? We're keeping that separate because that's its own entity. Yeah. It's not a James, it's not a Eon James Bond movie. It's its own thing. It's like we talked about the 1960s Casino Royale, which we haven't, which is a total parody. That's its own thing. thing. It's not a bad Bond. It's just, it's not a good Bond. It's not my favorite. But it's still James Bond. It's in the lower tier of Bonds. Yeah. But it's, mo- it's still James Bond. But it's... I don't feel that... Borrow from a friend. You, you're putting it all the way up to Borrow from a friend? So second to highest? Hmm. I think we're... No, I don't, I, I don't say don't reach... What, what is the... Borrow from a friend once. No, Borrow from a friend is our second highest rating. Oh. Our, our middle rating is worth watching once. Worth watching once. Yeah. It's worth watching once or on streaming or if you get the, the Blu-ray. 
check it out. We own the Blu-ray and we watched it streaming. Not much difference. Exactly the same. Yeah. So, I think that our next one is going to be kind of cool because we're now getting into the more violent age of Bond because the next Bond is probably the most one of the most violent Bonds, would you say? It is very violent. Well, the second one is truly violent. The first one... We're talking about Timothy Dalton as our next Bond, and he uh, does something very different with James Bond. This James, his James Bond is, I think, no, no, no one comes back except for uh, Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think so. I think that's all we could say about *A View to Kill*. We can officially say that the Max Zorin episode is done. You guys have seen this. Let us know what you think. Email us at spirekin at gmail.com or at spirekin on Twitter. You don't have to agree with us. In other news, we are actually going to be doing another spy movie in the Spirekin motion picture review where we're going to be talking about, dare I say, a certain spy movie involving a man who runs with his arms against his shoulders. Slicing through the wind. Yes, we're talking about Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. So if you if you don't like Bond, you might like Mission Impossible. We will talk about that another time. But in a lot of ways, he's the American James Bond. No, because originally the original uh, Mission Impossible is is Mister uh, Phelps. He's the original. Hmm. We can talk about that in that episode. This is James Bond. So with that in mind, I'm Zan. I'm Greta. We're gone. We'll catch you next time and keep watching Bond movies. A sacred wine, a mystery gaping
has a secret ambition. I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley. Project Main Strike. A secret plan. For which each of you will pay me $100 million. And a secret weapon. Not sure about her. Name's Mayday. Someone will take care of you. Oh, you'll uh, see to that personally, will you? There's only one man who can stop them. You're still under arrest. In the world of high adventure, the highest number is still 007. Of medicine? Oh, no, no, no. I am Mr. Turin's breeding consultant. <laughs> really, then you can let me into a little secret. How is it you succeed with breeding bloodlines that other experts consider inferior? Ah, selective breeding is important, yeah. But more important is conditioning and desire, yeah. Are you talking about people or horses? <laughs> yeah. My principles apply equally to human beings. Mr. Sinjin Smythe, allow me to introduce myself. Mr. Zorin, it's a great pleasure. Carl, one of the grooms asked if you go to the stables. Of course. I must congratulate you, Mr. Zorin. Your stables are magnificent. Built in the 16th century by a duke who believed he'd be reincarnated as a horse. Have you been interested in thoroughbreds long? Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, I had a rather dotty old aunt die and leave me some stables, so I thought it might be rather fun to breed and raise horses. I take it you ride. I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. What about fishing? Fly casting. I'm neglecting my other guests. Enjoy yourself, you'll find the young ladies stimulating company. I'm sure they 